Hello, and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today on the show, we'll be talking about the results from the latest Team Serious Open, a discussion of counterfeits and their effect in vintage, and finally, Serious Food and Drink talks Melt Bar and Grilled. And we're back. We've been away for what several months now, three months or something like that. Yeah, we haven't really like that. haven't really done any podcasting since uh, really since just that, I guess, because of yeah, right. It's what a waste of time. But uh, yeah, so we're back and ready to get started looking at some vintage again and talking about stuff that affects people, <laughs> things like that. Kind you of. Know? Yeah. I guess we'll get started. We'll just jump right in. We had the largest vintage tournament in Ohio in, as far as I can tell, at least two years. We had the Team Series Open in Columbus January 18th, which was the Saturday portion of the Star City Games Open that was also held that weekend in Columbus. I thought this was really neat, especially in terms of 34 players, because... <laughs> I think that we were sort of arguing about whether SCG brought more people or pulled more people away, because we had a lot of people there that were regulars. We had a couple of people who had bombed out that morning at SCG and, and stopped by, but yeah. most of the people that were there were certainly there for the vintage. Right. I mean, I think a lot of things played into it, because we did have a great turnout. I think there were people there who played in both the Vintage and then wanted to play the Legacy on Sunday at Star City. Sort of like um, a whole weekend out of it. Right. You could do a whole little eternal weekend of your own there. And we did have people, you know, despite the weather, like the weather was, was pretty crappy, but we had a, two cars at least come down from Michigan. We may have had three. But we had a good turnout from Michigan, several players from out of state, two people flew in expecting that this was going to be a bigger event, thanks to Ryan Seeley and Will for coming in for that. I, I think it was just a lot of things came together and went well, and we'll definitely be holding another one over the next Star City Open, whenever that will be. We'll plan around it so you can plan around it. Yeah, that's interesting. I figured that Standard would pull away players. But, I mean, it, it could kind of help for the attendance that the standard metagame is like two decks and mirror matches, so. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think it just helps that there are people who, you know, are eternal players and are interested in playing Vintage and Legacy, but they're not really all that keen on standard. So it gives them something to do while their friends are playing standard, or it gives them just an excuse to come and play both events or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how that works. I Obviously, I'm more of an eternal player and would play Vintage and Legacy, but I assume other people are the same way. Regardless, it turned out really well for us. Yeah. Right. And I, and I actually have to say, the morning of the tournament, I tweeted that basically if you scrub out at Star City Columbus, you can still come play Vintage at the Team Series Open. And that actually worked. Like There were, <laughs> there were at least two people who came because of that. They scrubbed out, and then they came... But yeah, it, it was a great turnout, it was a great event, and I think you know we're going to be looking forward to a lot more of those, especially as the weather turns nicer and we hopefully reached some people who didn't already know about Vintage in Ohio are semi-local. So We had an achievement for these guys, <laughs> these guys from Ohio are idiots, and that we yeah. get achievement points for playing against someone who is not from the same state as you. Right. And I think that there were a lot of people who were getting that every round just from being... From um, out of the, state. Yeah, the only ones from their state, but we had a right. lot of people who were the only ones from their state. So that was yeah, cool. well, I mean, that was that was the idea. I mean, I did sort of cherry-pick some of the achievements for this one, and that was one of them. Uh, and we did have people from Georgia, Virginia, Michigan, Indiana, 
in Ohio at least. I don't yeah, know I know that I played against the guy from Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, great. You should have told me that achievement. I would have came. Yeah, I mean, you had plenty of opportunity. You, you could have won. Be I blame no one but you. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we did, we did have, I'm not sure if this was a result of a large turnout or what, but we actually had a really interesting metagame for that day. <laughs> um, the results are up on the manager, and I'll put the link in the article. But in the everyone plays combo metagame? Yeah, it, it was real weird because, okay, so we had 34 players, and I had 33 deck lists. I'm not sure what I lost, but uh, <laughs> at some point, one got Did lost. Was Jerry Yang in that event? Oh, yes. it may have been Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, we had 13 combo decks, which, I mean, I'm basically counting anything that wins with some sort of direct combo. I know I saw an uh, awful its primary lot of, goal. I saw an awful yeah, lot of Oath of Druids. There were five Burning Oath decks and one non-Burning Oath deck. And then there were also Turbotez. There was World Gorger Dragon. There was Rector Omniscience. There was Belcher, which wasn't played by me. That was Randall Witherell. TPS. Three regrowth gush decks. There was also Bomberman. I, I mean, it was just like we had a huge field of blue and combo, and then seven aggro control decks. You know, things that are going to win with dudes, and then two workshop decks and a dredge. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Like I, well, I mean, I, I guess I sort of appreciate that sort of meta game. It's wide open. Like a lot of it is just racing your opponent, and who has the better hand of combo or the better hand of control versus the other person's combo, but we still ended up with a pretty diverse top eight. We had two Oath decks, Keeper, actual Keeper, like, like for real Keeper. There was a moat. There, there was actual moat in play. So actual Keeper with moat, a bug control, uh, aggro control deck, had true name nemesis. Non-Q-Tran played stacks. Dragon made the top eight. That was actually, I think, the guy who came, scrubbed out a standard and played vintage. And Bomberman and a Gush Tendril Flist. So, <laughs> I don't know, it was a lot of fun. I, I felt like the two standout decks were the sort of vintage, vintage decks. That would be the Keeper and the Dragon, neither of which I have really seen in that pristine form in quite a while. Yeah, I agree. And actually, you know, Matt Hazard made up a medallion for the Team Serious champion. And since the weather was getting bad enough, everyone decided to split at top eight. They had to vote on who would actually take home the medallion, and Rick Gideon and his keeper list took it home. Again, I'll, I'll put the list up in the thread, but this was a pretty interesting deck. He tests with us in Columbus, and I mean, I've played against this several times. It's tough to beat. Yeah, he said that obviously Keeper has answers for any situation. He said that in testing right. it was doing very well for him. So right. yeah, that seems awesome to me. To say that even an older deck like that, and he was playing it card for card almost, the one of the older lists. The, the, he plays a mind test. Yeah, he had all the old stuff in there. And he did, you know, update it. He had three Jaces and two Mind Break Traps, and he was still tinkering for Blightsteel and had Steel Hellkite, which, I mean, I think normally he would have. Did he have Morphling in his list? I don't have it on. I'm pretty sure he had Morphling in his list. I he really, did not. He did not. I thought I heard him talking yeah. about it, that he cast it. But... He had been testing it. I know I had played against it. I know he was testing it. I, I don't it's possible that it. the list is missing it, because I highly doubt that Kurt Crane is playing one Voltaic Key in zero Time Vaults. Yeah, I mean, I had But maybe... <laughs> That would be a saucy move. Really fake out your opponent. I mean, that will draw the mental misstep very well. Yeah, and I and I was, you know, I printed these out and I've been looking at them. And the Bomberman list that Sam Krolos, he has Blightsteel Colossus in the sideboard. 
I don't that know. actually that might be correct. That sounds like Sam because he will side into it in game too. Right. You could use that against workshops or yeah. fast combo or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm not questioning that one, or at least I wouldn't necessarily. But yeah, so anyway, uh, looking back at Rick Gideon's keeper list, I mean, he's got a lot of ways to either grind you down or to get a massive swing of card advantage like the Mind Twist. And he does have ways to reuse everything, too, the regrowth. And I think, did he have a Snapcaster? It doesn't look like he did. But anyway, he did have the regrowth that he was using to get stuff back, which also plays through Graft Digger's Cage, which is kind of interesting. Boom. Yeah. Like I said, I've been playing against him in testing, and, I've, you know, really the best way to get past him is either to – he's still sort of weak, especially main deck against shops. That was one of his things. And then you can see he has answers for those in the sideboard because he has extra steel habitage, uh, ancient grudge, balance, mind break trap against combo. He's ready. <laughs> Seems really good. Yeah. And then we have World Gorger Dragon, which is a bold move. And I, I would say it's a bold move, but obviously he was prepared. Dragon is vulnerable to graveyard hate, but he was playing, I believe, the transformational sideboard into Tez, right? Right. right. Yeah, this this is essentially Nick Koss's minus six list. I mean, it's, it'd certainly be based on that. Yeah, we should probably explain the World Gorger Dragon combo to anybody who does not know. Yeah, man, good luck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just talking to Abe, our, our resident vintage judge, about multiple different, like, well, what if you had two dragons out at the same time? What would eventually happen in this case? He just really gets angry. So anyway, how the dragon <laughs> combo works. Generally, dragon will use something like Bazaar of Baghdad as card advantage and to put dragon into its graveyard. Once right. Dragon is in the graveyard, you cast Animate Dead, Dance of the Dead, or Necromancy, which brings Dragon into play. World Gorger Dragon removes all your other permanents when it comes into play, which includes the Animate Dead, Dance of the Dead, or Necromancy, and this causes an infinite loop because the Dragon comes into play and removes the Dance of the Dead, then the Dragon dies, and then Dance of the Dead comes back into play, etc. And every time that this loop happens, all of your lands come into play untapped. So you can use Bazaar to mail out your library, you can generate infinite mana if you have a mana-producing land, and eventually you break the chain by animating something different, usually something like Una, Queen of the Fae, who, when you have unlimited mana, I believe you use Una to mill your opponent to death, right? Yeah, you mill your Correct. opponent and put fairy tokens into play for the number of cards you mill of a certain color. And actually, when the dragon leap is happening, you can play instants as well. I mean, that's why you can tap lands and use bizarre and stuff like that. Yeah, you, can yeah. still, you can break it in a number of different ways, including he has Echoing Truth in his main deck, which he can use to bounce either the dragon or the enchantment ah. and end the loop that way, too. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting list, and the, as you pointed out, the weakness that it would normally have to graveyard hate in the sideboard gets answered by transforming into basically a Tezzeret chase control deck. Like, instead of winning with World Order Dragon, you just win with Time Bolt and Control. And you have um, the advantage that your opponent has a bunch of dead graveyard hate cards. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You, which are useless and now. one of the funny things is they call it the deck minus six because you're playing Dark Confidant. And whenever you reveal World Order Dragon to Dark Confidant, you lose six life minus six. Feels really good. Yeah. But, you know, I, I played against, the player was Daniel Buzzy. He was playing the deck, and I played against him in round five, I think. And we had an interesting match. In game one, he pretty much comboed me out quickly. Like, I think I thought seized him on turn one, and he used Bizarre, and then he ended up comboing on turn two because I never found another piece of hate and wasn't able to counter him. And then game two, I did bring in my graveyard hate, despite knowing that he could transform into 
Tezzeret, basically. I don't remember who I talked to, but he said that Daniel had stayed combo in games two and three as well, or stayed with the Worldburger Dragon combo in games two and three, so I played on that hunch and and brought in most of my graveyard aid. And what Um, were you playing? uh, I was playing one of the Gush Tendrils lists. I think I ended up with two and three, so it's not really notable, but I brought in Hate Forum and really did manage to control the game for a long time. I mean, we, we played through several hands where I was clearly ahead and was able to stop any combo attempts that he made, but I at the same time, wasn't finding my own combo to actually win the game, so it was taking too long. At one point, he broke through and was able to reanimate World Gorger with no other targets and no cards in hand. So what ended up happening was he drew the game, because you have an unbounded loop that he's not forced to end in any way. Like If there had been another creature in either of our graveyards, he would have had to reanimate that and break the loop. But as it was, we drew the game. And the game two took long enough that our game three started and we had three minutes left in the round or something like that. So we played the beginning of game three and then did our extra turns and drew. So, well, we drew that game. So what ended up happening is he won the match with a record of 1-0-2, which is kind of interesting. I've never lost a match 1-0-2 yeah, before. Yeah, it, and it's totally <laughs> legit. But I, I remember, like, I mean, if you're playing Dragon, you can essentially use the dragon draw as an extra mulligan or something. Right. If you have a hand of five and it's not very good, you just <clears> draw, right. the you game just draw the game yeah. start it over. Yeah. And I, he and I were talking about it because I said, well, that, I mean, actually that was tactically fine for you because, you know, you weren't, right. you weren't in a position to win. And if I win that game, we end up just drawing the match probably. I mean, if I won that game late enough, we would just end up drawing the match at uh, one and one. But as it was, he drew the game. And then we drew another game, and he won. So his play was fine. Like, it, it ended up winning him the match rather than taking it to a draw. And he said, you know, understandably so, that he would rather just win the game. <laughs> and, well, I mean, he's right. I mean, like, he could have, you know, if, if things had been different, but he would have been able to just win the game outright. But instead, he drew the game. So Yeah, um, that works. Yeah, it, it worked out. But, you know, you know if you have a strategic play like that at your disposal and the opportunity comes up, yeah, you get idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not bad. Where did he end up in the at the end of the Swiss? At the end of Swiss, he was sixth. Okay. Yeah. So everyone drew in the top eight. Yeah. yeah, like I said, the weather was getting sort of bad, so we drew and went to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine the Michigan folks had quite a trip home. It was pretty nasty when things let out. So if they got on the road right away, they may have been driving through several hours of snow. But what a as far as I know, yeah, as far as I know, everybody made it back okay. Did we um, check in with everyone? Did, did I, I, I think we would have heard. But yeah, we probably would have. It was interesting to see a lot of different decks out there from what we normally see. So it, it was an exciting metagame, I think, to play in for a day. Yeah, I would say that. I would entirely agree. Yeah. Jeff, were you there as well? I was also there as well. I was playing my... I, I have done no... Vintaging <laughs> since Gen Con, so I was playing almost exactly the same. Oh, okay. So I was gonna say this has got to be good because you're like prefacing it. So I was waiting for like Aromancer's Ascension. No, no, I was just playing that deep blue Thespian Stage Mono Blue deck. Yeah, oh, okay. I mean, it just did not cooperate all day. I think it really culminated in my last match, where very quickly in game one. I uh, I assembled the combo and I was using the stage on the depths and in response he used Demir Charm on himself 
for the <laughs> mode of he looks at the top three and then I think he puts one on top and then two in his graveyard. Yeah. And he threw a pything needle in the yard, which seemed kind of odd for what he was going to do. But then he used the draw spell and drew the top card. And I was like, all right. And so he's like, yep, stage does its thing. So stage did its thing. And then he stifled the Dark Depths trigger. Yeah, okay. And I was like, oh, that seems bad. So I mana drained it. And then he stifled it again. Does that do anything? Yeah, it stops the It prevents from... the token, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I ended up with nothing in play and just sort of sitting on my thumb. And I think <laughs> for the next turn, he dropped Wasteland and Crucible of Worlds. Hmm. That seems good for him. Yeah, so I was against the deck that had main board Stifles, Wastelands. He had three Ghost Quarters as well, Crucible <laughs> of Worlds, and Pything Needle. So... Was that with Tezzeret, Agent of Bolas? Yes, yes. Yeah, his deck was kind of cool, too. I didn't get to see a whole bunch of it. Actually, I guess I don't have the deck list for that anymore, but it was basically a ported legacy list. That deck is basically my list's worst nightmare. Yeah, that's <laughs> e- It was all kinds of bad news. So that was my experience. Yeah, that's cool. Sounds getting, fun. Getting blown out. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't have a very good day either. It was, it was fine. But <laughs> it was one of those things um, where, like, I mean, I've played the deck where the hands have come together nicely, and right, yeah. the hands were not coming together nicely. It took a lot of resources to assemble the combo, and it, right. it sometimes doesn't feel like it takes that much. So That's interesting. I, I actually, I really like that deck. Your dark stage deck, basically, but I think that's I think it's an interesting deck, and I think it has some good advantages in vintage. I'm probably going to end up making it blue black. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were going to add black because that yeah, seems I, like the one thing where it's just like, oh, you could probably just add black and make this a ton better. Yeah, I'm not getting enough out of mono blue simply because like my deck does not become wasteland proof by being <laughs> by playing all basics because my combo is wasteland. Non-basic. So. Right. So it goes. Well, yeah, it's a, instead of people wasting your mana lands, they just waste your combo lands instead. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I want Demonic Consultation, that deck, so bad. Right. Oh, especially after they unrestrict it? Oh! Yeah, that'll never happen. Oh. <laughs> Man, we are not talking about the main restricted list tonight. We are not. <laughs> no. Oh, that didn't happen already? No, not yet. It actually happens later this week. Which actually, by the time you if listen you're to this, listening to this, it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly what we expected has happened. Ah, man, we are so good at predicting things. I know. We have speculated baselessly on so many things, and they've come true. <laughs> Demonic consultation has not been unrestricted. <laughs> Man, we're going to be eating our words when that gets unrestricted. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to be brewing vintage if that gets unrestricted. Yeah, really. Anyway, so yeah, I think I think a lot of people had a lot of fun, and you know, we're definitely looking forward to having another similar event. There's one scheduled right now for March 8th, if anyone is listening and wants to show up for that. We'd, we'd be glad to host you. You should come. It'll I'm, be fun. I'm going to see what I can do. I so. need to look at Flying into Columbus is so expensive. Is it really? You can fly to Toledo, Cup. I'll pick you up, put you up. I'll, take, I'll, I'll look. I'll look at everything, it's, all my options. Isn't Toledo worse? Yeah, it's way worse. Know. If you can fly into Detroit, though, I would pick you up in Detroit. Yeah, and, and I could get you from Dayton, and I'm sure any number of people could get you from Cleveland. No, those Clevelanders are jerks. <laughs> well, it's like they, they might leave you at the airport for an hour, but... You know. <laughs> That's all right. I, I always like to give myself extra time when I fly through Cleveland because I just spend it at the brewery. 
Yeah. Uh, great, the Great Lakes Bar. Yeah, they have the Great Lakes Bar at the airport. like to talk about counterfeits well honestly no <laughs> but i think it's important yeah i think that wait you were you were supposed to say that born of the gods not the counterfeits. oh, oh. <laughs> would you like to talk about born of the gods not at all would you like to talk about counterfeits let's talk about counterfeits <laughs> okay <laughs> um i think that the counterfeit thing is coming up simply because people are talking about it Right. And I think that's the important thing to take away from this is counterfeits have existed for a long time. Yeah, I think I think they've just, you know, they've been a thing in vintage with such expensive cards for, you know, 10 years or so, maybe more. Right. I think it's been more than that. I mean, I yeah. my sort of defining moment when I realized how far back this goes was when I was watching a video on how to identify fake cards and the guy mm-hmm. was tearing in half a gauntlet of might because that was an an extensively faked card in the early days of magic because it was very powerful and obviously i mean none of us go out and buy gauntlets of might anymore no one i mean i've never played gauntlet of might it's probably an edh staple you know this right i i'm sure that it is but i I don't (laughs) think that anybody's faking that card anymore but back in the day i'm sure that they did yeah um Counterfeits have been around as long as magic has been around in varying qualities. And I think that when I first heard about these new counterfeits that were coming out, there was a big scare about them because the pictures that came out online looked pretty convincing. I mean, yeah, there were some textual issues with what serifs. They were missing. Yeah, so well, they, they had no. They had the kerning issues. Yes, kerning oh, issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which means that the letters were spaced incorrectly. Basically, I think that was the thing. Is the obviously we're talking about these Chinese counterfeiters that people have been talking about for the past week. By the time you listen to this, the past two weeks, and this, you know, when you see the the two cards side by side, it's not hard to tell. But even seeing them side by side a real one and a fake one, you do have to actually pay attention to realize that one is fake and one is real, on screen anyway. I haven't come into contact with any of them in person. From what I've heard, they don't look the real deal in person very much at all. Like if you've handled an actual magic card before in your life, especially if you're an actual magic player and have been around the game for some amount of time, you're not going to get fooled by these in person. I think that this is bringing the threat of fakes around to other formats front and center. And I mean, this isn't even something that we, that we have seen as strictly a vintage issue in the past. I remember, I think it was probably like a year and a half ago, people were talking about how extensively and well Jace the Mind Sculptor had been fake. I think that was when, uh, Worldwake Syndicar standard block, when Jace was a hundred dollar card that you had to have in your deck. Yeah, and I remember people were saying the fakes were two. so good, you would not be able to tell them from the real thing. And so, hard to say. Right, and I think that's the funny thing about it is that, you know, speaking as a vintage player, speaking as a vintage player who is right now currently acquiring power and stuff like that, and has, I mean, obviously I've bought dual lands and force of wills in the past and stuff like that. It's just something that, I mean, you're spending a large amount of money on a piece of cardboard, you want to make sure that you're getting the real piece of cardboard. So, I mean, it's just, to me, 
that just seems like second nature. Like when I get a, you know, a mox, a dual end or, you know, whatever, like I'm going to look at it pretty closely, even if it's not, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to look at it pretty closely to make sure that I, I spent my a hundred plus dollars on the right thing and I'm not getting ripped off. And I realized there's still some worry. Like if you buy cards from, you know, you're buying cards from overseas or you're buying cards on eBay where you're, you know, maybe you feel more exposed to risk, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I would chime in right here and say that there's no risk on eBay. I, I yeah, knew I guess going Jeff, to... Jeff, you can probably speak to this, as I know that you definitely you seek sketchy-looking power on eBay. Yeah, that's exactly right. In so, the hope that it is real. So if something really sketchy comes out, like overseas or low feedback, seems like probably too good to be true, I'll buy it. I mean, yeah. that was pretty much what I was buying when I was assembling my power. And right. I found that a lot of that turned out to be legit, but right. a lot of it also didn't. And I have definitely received fake cards, and I have filed claims with eBay or PayPal, and I have gotten my money back in every single case. Right. Um, so, but so I, have, <laughs> I have a battery of tests that I will right. run through on every card that I get. Even cards that I get from, like, friends or something, I'll still check them out. To, and obviously I've never gotten anything fake from friends, but it's still good to know. So what are, yeah. what are the kind of tests that you do? So I will look at it under 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 a magnifying glass. I don't have a jeweler's loop, but you can get pretty good with a uh, with a magnifying glass. And um, every single uh, one that I've found that has failed have all failed the light test. So mm, okay. I've found several cards that were too thick; they didn't let any light through. And I found a lot of cards that let a lot of light through. Oh, okay. um, and I'm not quite sure what that faking process is, but and, and also in in most of these cases, like as soon as I got it out of the packaging, I knew it was fake. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. just from feeling it, you, you get the idea that something's up. It's either it's either really bulky or feels like a piece of paper. Right. Yeah. Actually, I mean, there's there's a lot of different tests you can do, and Jeff covered a couple of them. When you're looking at looking through the uh, magnifying glass, you're looking for the dot pattern, right? Like there's the printing. Yeah. If you look at a magic card under a magnifying glass, you'll see that it's got little tiny overlapping circles, basically, that make up the image, and that's what you're looking for. Yeah, and I'll, I'll compare them against a card that I have that I know is original. So I have an Alpha Power Sync, a Beta Red Elemental Blast, and an Unlimited Swamp. Well, real magic card and hold up to a Right yeah, I, I always compare back and forth doing <laughs> a fake test just to have one right. that I know is legit to compare against. Right. Um, and the, and another a... thing to look at, too, is you can see if a card's been rebacked. Yeah. Because uh, I know that probably like six or seven years ago when I was in college, uh, Anthony Michaels and I were going to – one of us was going to buy a beta call, and it just didn't seem right. So we actually took it to the mall and got them to let us use a loop, and we still couldn't see a crease. So at this point, the people that worked at the jewelry store were so fascinated that they let us use the microscope, and you could see like the crease where the card had been rebacked, but it looks really good. Wow. Neat. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty exciting. The other two common ones are going to be the bend test, uh, which usually will tell you if a card has been rebacked because the glue will act differently than a normal magic card will. Uh, actually, if you take a magic card and you can bend it corner to corner, like opposite corners, and it, normally it will just spring back on its own, but you can get it back to its normal flat state. Like, you don't want to do the bend test a whole bunch of times, obviously, because you will crease the card, but if you do the bend test, you'll either see creases on one of the card faces, or you'll be able to tell as you crack some glue in between it, or it'll just, it won't feel right. And the actual other common one is the water test, where if you put a drop of water on a card, 
not a whole bunch of water. Don't soak the card or anything like that. The like shoddily printed cards will sometimes the ink will bleed, that sort of thing. It shouldn't soak in. You know, you, you sort of want to put it on there, look at it for a little bit, and then wipe it off right away. But yeah. you know, it shouldn't soak in and it shouldn't bleed the card. So, but th- I mean, like I said, these are all things that vintage players, when they're buying cards, well, vintage and legacy players, when they're buying cards, should do normally. I mean, like if you're going to spend a bunch of money on a card, make sure it's the right card and I, I think that's one of the things is that people are just really afraid of is they don't really know how to identify fakes because they've never thought about it before. Like, Which means that now that everyone has to deal with this, there has never been a better time to get into vintage and legacy. Right. <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, that's true because there's, you know, there's plenty of reason to scrutinize all the cards and to just to make sure that everything's real and everything's on the up and up and, all the cards out there are going to be highly scrutinized, like you're already going to find that as this uh, counterfeit scare goes on, there are going to be fake cards that get weeded out of the system. Yep. Or there should be, anyway. Otherwise... Wait, this isn't, this isn't the end? This what? is not the end. Oh. Well, the sky... The, I mean, this is like the, what, 10th, 11th time that the sky has actually fallen on Magic the Gathering? <laughs> I mean, I've... Um, M10 rules, it ended there. Oh, man, M10 rules, the 8th edition card frame... <laughs> and the um, new card frame, oh, geez, this is like magic ending for the second time in probably like, what, two months? Oh, it's, it's it was like three times in, in 2013. <laughs> this game is done. It's, it's, you know, obviously over. By the way, if you're planning on selling out, I can give you my email address. It will be in the show notes. I'd be interested in buying any and all cards that you're getting rid of. So. Specifically, I would I, like a pearl. Yeah. I've been looking for, I don't know, two or three years. I will give you 50 cents on the dollar. Just like Mr. Potter did in It's a Wonderful Life. What a value. What a value. I know. I mean, it, the cards are worth nothing now, so... Yeah, I mean, so it, since the cards are worth nothing, I will gladly take them both. <laughs> yeah, um, so, I mean, people, be careful. Play smart. <laughs> if it seems like too good of a deal, it probably is. If you're on eBay, you don't even have to care. Right. Yeah, eBay will cover you. eBay is your best friend ever. Yeah, eBay, eBay is the buyer's best friend and the seller's nightmare. Right. Well, speaking of the real deal, I think we can move on to the food and drink review portion of our show and talk a little bit about Melt Bar and Grilled. And that is Grilled oh. with a D, which I was not aware of until we had yeah. this segment. Yeah, well, I, um, this is with a... With a D. Yes, always with a D. <laughs> there's, uh, there's actually three locations of Melt now, I think. There's two in the Cleveland area, one in Lakewood and one on the farther east part. And then they recently opened one in... Columbus, I think in November. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, that's actually where we went. Ryan and Will and my wife and I went there on Friday before the event. Your wife has a name. My wife's name is Elizabeth. She wants to point that out. Randy Belcher. <laughs> <laughs> and we went there. And Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Jeff and Josh said hi. Hi. Uh, she says hi back. I heard that. That better not get edited out. <laughs> I, I would never think of such a thing. So anyway, so we went there before the event on Saturday, or we went there on Friday. I had actually been to the one in Lakewood before. I think I've been there once before. I hadn't been there in several years. But I, I mean, they they actually do a pretty 
good job there. I think Ryan put it best when he said, this isn't the best sandwich I've ever had, but it's the most audacious sandwich I've ever had. <laughs> what sandwich did he have? He had the Monte Cristo. Oh, man. Could you, um, could you tell us what the Monte Cristo is? I could as soon as I opened the menu. The Monte Cristo is usually like a ham and cheese sandwich that's covered in pancake batter and fried and comes with dipping sauce. And it's got powdered yeah. sugar on it. Whoa. Yeah. That is a pretty audacious sandwich. I think that's an audacious sandwich in general, not specifically just at Mel. But that doesn't make it any less delicious. Well, Ryan said it wasn't the best sandwich he's ever had. Maybe he's just very picky. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to have the best sandwich you ever you've ever had that has powdered sugar on it. Oh, good <laughs> point. What do you enjoy at Melt Chapel? My go-to sandwich is the Thanksgiving sandwich. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it is uh, exactly what it sounds like. It's turkey and it's the entire Thanksgiving dinner on a sandwich. You got it with a cranberry dipping sauce. Wow. So what's the cheese they put on it? Uh, I think they put uh, I I don't know. Cheddar, I don't know. <laughs> and, and I think that it's important to say that, I mean, the specialty of Melt is that it is a very Grilled highly, cheese restaurant. <laughs> yeah, it's a highly dressed up grilled cheese restaurant. So right. they right. do it to the nth degree. Right. So Ryan had the, um, had the Monte Cristo. I had the potato bacon bomb, which is basically a um, potato skin, like an appetizer uh, potato skin only in sandwich form, so it has mashed potatoes and cheddar cheese and bacon and sour cream. Elizabeth had the uh, Parmageddon, which is named for Parma, Ohio, uh-huh. um, and includes a... It's, it's Giant a, pierogi! Yeah, it with cheese and then um, sauerkraut on top, right? Yeah, it's like some sort of cabbage. Yeah, some sort of cabbage slop on top. I have to say that I was unimpressed with that. Agreed. I know that a lot of people... Totally talk about that sandwich as being one of their hallmark sandwiches, but the um, pierogi was kind of chewy, hmm. and I, so yeah, I, I think it's normally kind of crispy, like they actually cook the pierogi so it's like, you know, crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, like an actual pierogi should be, and um, yeah, it was it was just disappointing. I was unhappy with that. That's unfortunate. It was a little bit. So, so do you have to consult your cardiologist before you sit down to have a meal at this restaurant? And also after. Oh, okay. That's probably important. As well. well, I think in some other popular sandwiches are like the Lake Erie Monster, which is walleye. Yeah, it's fish. Yeah, it's walleye. And the uh, Godfather, which is like a lasagna sandwich. Yeah. yeah I think the, that that is a sandwich. Yeah, the, the Godfather is the lasagna sandwich, right? Like it's lasagna with extra cheese on it built into a sandwich. And then the... Um, Very dense Right, Will actually had the Dude Abides, which is like a whole bunch of different, I think it's got meatballs and cheese sticks, like mozzarella cheese sticks in the sandwich. So, I mean, basically, if you can think of it and it's insane, it's probably been on one of their sandwiches. Did you do monthly specials still, right? right? Yeah, mine was actually the monthly special, the potato bacon bomb was the special for January. Yeah, I think that's what I've seen because they create those sort of, I don't know how to describe them, but they're sort of artistic flyers. Yeah, yeah, they're posters that advertise the special. Yeah, I've seen them around the internet, people talking about them, and they're pretty interesting to look at. Yeah. Specifically the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon sandwich? I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah, so... Yes, the reason you don't actually have to consult your cardiologist is because they sense a beer menu that will, you know, the beer will help cart all of the bad stuff away from your heart. Oh. So I think as long as you're as long as you're having beer with the sandwich, you can't be hurt by the sandwich. 
I think that's how that works. The Melt in Lakewood also has an excellent beer menu. I don't yeah. know about the other ones, but yeah, well, they had they had a pretty extensive beer menu in Columbus. I mean, I think that's their thing is they do grilled cheese and beer. So. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip. Take a little trip. Take a little trip and see. I would let fish eat the dead skin off my feet. Yeah, sure. I would too.